told our first service, it is still weird for me. I've, I've been at this church 23 years and um, preached a lot. And, and we're making space for other people to be on stage. And, and Skip does such a wonderful job. But it's awkward to have people clapping when you come up. But it fills the space when you're walking up, so I guess it works. But thank you. Um, I'm excited about today. We are, we are moving into, we, we covered in July, we covered uh, serving. And then you went out and did it. And then in August, we, co- we covered salvation by God's grace. And now in September, can you believe it's September? September, you better start Christmas shopping. I know you're going to be late. September, we're going to cover shaping. It's the third part of our vision. We're going to shape people into committed servants. So um, I want to talk to you this morning about that. And... Uh, in some context of how we're shaped. And so why don't you stand back up? Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna read that together. Stand back up. It'll be up on the screen. Or if you have one of those paper Bibles, you can look at that on your phone, however you wanna do it. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we pray that we'd be shaped this morning because we are together. God, we know that looking into your word has the power to renew our minds, so we pray that you do that. Change the connections in our minds to think more towards you and your will for our lives. And we pray that because we were together today, we'd be more like Christ. Shape us today, Lord. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. You see me drink a little water. I am quickly approaching the realization that 43 does not bring good tidings. And I found out a couple weeks ago, well, about a week ago, I have a abscessed wisdom tooth. I only have one wisdom tooth, only ever had one wisdom tooth that came in. You don't want to know all about that. But I started taking antibiotics and I got sick. And so I started correlating antibiotics with sickness. But my friend over here, who's a nurse practitioner, is shaking her head, begging me to shut up. As I've got this little chest thing, so if you see me drink some water, it's so I keep keep making it. We're talking about shaping, and I want to talk to you this morning about something I believe that is central to the gospel. It's central to the Bible story all the way through. It's central to us being shaped in that God built you, and that is God built you for community. 
He built you for community. He didn't, he did not build you, uh, to be by yourself. Uh, he built you to be in a community. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter two, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. All the women say, amen. Every time we leave them alone, they are dirty. All the men say, amen. Now I want to let you know, this was not a mistake. God did not, God did not create man and then take a nap and wake up and go, oh, oh, look at him. He's all dirty. He doesn't know what time to get up in the morning. And he, you know, he's just, well, I got to get somebody to help this guy out. That's not what he did. Our, our God is a communal God. We, we worship, we call it the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And so why would a triune God create one individual to inhabit the planet? It's not the character of God to do that. So it wasn't a mistake. God intended from the beginning to create us, man and woman. He created them to procreate. He created all of it was at the beginning. So it wasn't that God was waking up and going, oh man, look at him. He's all just, he's just, he can't get anything done. He's showing up late and he's dirty and he's eating pizza every night. So we don't look at God creating woman as a mistake for creating man. And, and ladies, please don't approach it as you're the solution to men. That doesn't work either. God intended for us to operate in community. Look at the person beside you and, God, and tell them God purposed that we'd be together. Now, you may be related to them, so look at the other person on the other side of you. Look at the person that's not related to you and say, hey, God created us to be together. Tell them. Tell them with confidence God created us to be together. So the writer of Hebrews is making a case for us to have access to God. He's saying in the, up until Jesus... In the, in the most holy of places, what, in, the, in the temple and in, in the pre-runner to the temple, the tabernacle, in the most holy of places, it was veiled off by a really thick curtain. So ordinary people couldn't go in there. It was just a high priest. And the miraculous thing that happened at the death of Jesus is that an earthquake happened. And the Bible says that it split that really thick curtain, just split it right down the middle. And that was symbolic of the death of Jesus making access for everybody now who proclaims the name of Jesus as Lord. Everybody now has access to God. So in light of the access we have to God the Father, in light of the access to his presence, the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging us with community. You notice he doesn't use anything in the singular here when he's encouraging. He says, let us, let us, let us, we, us, us, we. He's always talking about community when we're approaching God. But that poses a problem in 2019 because we are wired now for individualism. We are wired now to think about our rights and our motivations and we're, we're wired as a culture to do that. So with all the blessings and, and, and greatness of Western culture, it, there's a part of it that, it that has caused our own decline and that's, that's the heightening of the individualist. 
It's the individual over, over the community. And so what happens is, as soon as I start demanding my rights, I push the community off. Amen? Everybody's like, why are you going to tell me what I can't do now? So follow me on this. If you were created for community, the less you have of it means you're living in a world that you weren't created for. So in the light of shaping, the Bible teaches us that we were created to be shaped in a community of people. So the less we have of that, the less shaping takes place, the less natural environment that we are living in. And I'll make an argument for it like this. Watch, with all of our media savvy and connections and all that stuff and welcome uh, online church, it's a community. Amen? So when I talk about millennials, don't everybody go, oh, millennials are the most hated generation on the planet. I'm not sure why, but, but it's, uh, we should hate millennials' parents, really. Some of you just thought about that. You went, oh, that's how it happened. So when I talk about millennials, it's not in a detrimental way. It's just the, the results of where our culture is going. So watch this. Social media savvy millennials. This is a research done by an organization called YouGov. Social media savvy millennials may make up the loneliest generation in America, according to a new, new survey by market research firm YouGov. They surveyed, surveyed uh, adults ages 18 and older and found that 27% of millennials, some of you may have seen this, this made the headlines a couple weeks ago. 27% of millennials have no close friends. 25% have no acquaintances. And 22% or one in five in that age range have no buddies. No, nobody they're calling up, no pals. When, when, when the stuff hits the fan, there's not a, there's not a speed dial. I don't think, I think speed dial's gone. I think you just hit their contact. Right? So compare this with only 9% of baby boomers who fell into this category. So what we're seeing is, so only 9% of baby boomers claim they had no close friends. 15% of Gen Xers claim they had no close friends. I'm, I'm Gen X. So what happens is the, num- the number of people feeling more isolated in our community is going up, not down. So even though we are connected more digitally, people aren't sensing the connection. Anybody say amen about that? So what's happening is you have to understand that but God designed us to live in community. He did, if you're married this morning, he designed you to sit in front of your spouse and look them in the face and have a conversation. He didn't design you to text them how angry you are from the next room over. That's not community. So what happens is, as our connections are going down, our anxiety is going the opposite direction up. Our aggression is going up. All these side effects that, that were unintended consequences as of, as of, of us being individuals 
Now we're starting to see the trends go the other way. More people have no connections. More people have no close friends. More people feel lonely. More people feel depressed. More people have anxiety. And it all leads to a crashing society. But God didn't create us that way. He said, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. So when, we individ- when the individual is idolized with rights and permissions that rule over the cultural norms, it dissolves the community we're in. You can go back in the Old Testament into the book of Judges. And, and one of the areas, one of the most difficult times in God's, the life of God's people was in Judges. And it says, each man did what he saw fit in his own eyes. And none of it turned out well. There was no community. There was no culture to bring everybody together and say, no, this is right and wrong. And, and here's how we're going to get better at this. And here's how we're going to live. And, and, and all these things. There wasn't one. So everybody woke up and went, nah. I'm not taking a shower today. I'm not going to go to work today. I'm not going to, I'm not doing anything. I'll do what's right in my eyes alone. And the Bible was describing that as a, as a, a mark on human society. So it created us to be together. Now I like you being individualized. I think God created you to be who you are, how you are, all those things, but he created you to get better in a community. And that's what he's talking about in Hebrews. Listen to this. Again, this is research. This is not, this is not me throwing labels out. So just, just settle down. According to Pew Research in 1960, listen to this. So where are we at? 1960, we are at 59 years ago. 59 years ago. Was that good math? It was on the fly, in my head, no calculator. According to Pew Research in 1960, 73% of kids grew up in a family with two parents. Almost three quarters of all children born in the United States grew up in a family with two parents. Only 9% in a single parent household. 2014, so we're talking about 54 years later, 54 years later, Less than half, 46% of kids are growing up in a two-parent household. I'm not, I'm not saying who is, is a fault for this. I'm saying our connections are going down. Our, our, our community is, is suffering. We're, we're, not, we're not as connected as we were. And you know what's rising? Adolescent anxiety is rising. Adolescent aggression is rising. All these things are rising. They're rising. They're rising. 26% now, it used to be 50 some years ago, it was 9%. Now, three times the percentage, 26% live in a single family home. And what's happening is, as, as the community is destroyed, all the adverse effects from it start to surface. All the adverse effects from it start to surface. I, I'm reading a book uh, called Primal Screams, and um, the author starts out the book talking about wolves. And uh, has anybody heard the term lone wolf? I know you've heard of the lone ranger, but even the lone ranger had a had a dude with him. Anybody heard of the lone wolf theory? Do you know that's not even true? Did you realize that? That wolves aren't alone, are never alone. So where the lone wolf theory came from was 
it was actually propagated for hundreds of years. And it was because people were studying wolves in captivity. They would pull a wolf out of a pack, they put it in captivity, and then they'd try to study it along with other unaffiliated wolves. And what they realized, so where the lone wolf came from is that now we've taken a wolf out of its context, out of its natural context, and put it somewhere where it's unnatural with a community that it was not associated with. It's unnatural settings. And what they started seeing was this lone wolf situation where there became isolation and and all these other things. And so for centuries, people thought that about wolves. That it was, oh, there's a lone wolf. There's a lone wolf. There's a lone wolf. And we even use that term today at times. Oh, he's a lone wolf. What's that mean? It means he's by himself and he's aggressive and all these things. And then there came some groundbreaking studies that actually studied wolves in their natural environment. And you know what they found? The exact opposite. So when you see a pack of wolves chasing down a buffalo to rip its head off, Guess who's in that pack? A mom, a dad, and they're teaching the kids how to rip the head off. That's awesome. They're like, there's a baby buffalo, kids. Come on. And the kids are like, yeah, dad, get him. I mean, it's the way it works. So what they theorized is the lone wolf thing came from because the wolf was separated from its community and started exhibiting high anxiety and aggression and they would, they would start fighting over dominance and all that stuff. And what they found out in the natural environment is there were never any fights for dominance in a wolf pack because they were family. There was never this wrestling match who's going to be the, the head. It was the dad. They even would take in like ants. Aunt B. My son's watching. It's like four people got there. Everybody's like, Aunt B, who is that? How do I say it? The Andy Griffin. Griffith. I say it wrong every time. You should watch it every now and then. So they'll even take in, they'll even adopt stray cubs in to a family, a pack of wolves. And so the author wasn't correlating the whole, the whole book to this, but was saying, this is, this is kind of what we're seeing in our society, where, where we've, we're taking people out of the natural environment that they were meant to live in, and we're expecting them to operate like they have the environment that they were supposed to live in. So what the writer of Hebrews now is saying, is he's saying, listen, in light of you having access to God's presence, do this together. Don't be by yourself. Do it together. Do it together. Do it together. Do it together. Look at your neighbor and say, man, we're meant to do it together. I don't like you, but he put us together. Do it together. Do it together. So he says three statements here. Let us, let us, let us. He didn't say let me, let you. He said let us together. So what's he say first? He says, let us draw near to God. As a group, as a community, we're going to draw near to God. The encouragement supposes that you're drawing near to God in a community of others doing the same thing. Let us draw near to God. Now, how many of you are the nature type? Nature type. Okay. That's fine. I like taking nature walks every 10 years. 
No, I, I don't mind it. Here, here's, here's a popular thing in today's, well, I just like to be off by myself with God. I, I, I hear people sometimes won't, won't gather together in settings like this because they say, well, I just like to be, you know, where I meet God is in the, in the woods. That's fine. Just don't get lost. Because, because here's the issue. Jesus did withdraw from people every now and then to go and pray. He did every now and then. But it wasn't the majority of the time. And this is where our individualism gets all caught up. Jesus was fully God and fully human. And so he withdrew sometimes to show us, you got to get alone by yourself and clear your head and pray and get things right. But then the majority of your time should be spent in community. Because Jesus wasn't looking at the disciples going, dude, can I get a little peace around here? Peter, just be quiet. Can I get a little me time? You never heard Jesus say that. He was built for community. That's why it was God with us, not God with me. Emmanuel, God with us as a community. So what happens is, it says, let us draw near to God. So what we do is, yeah, go out and pray by yourself, but come back. Because there will be times if you live long enough where you can't pray for yourself. And I'm going to tell you something. You can walk around the woods and cry out as much as you want. There ain't no squirrel going to stand up on its back legs and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying for your healing today. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So where do you get that? Community. It's good for you to worship by yourself. It's good for you to worship by It's good for you to be in a car by yourself with the radio on and the tears flying. And you're like, and then you realize people are watching you. It's good to be in your house with the radio up loud. It's good to be in your house with no music, just singing to the top of your voice. That's good. But I'm going to tell you something. There's more different power when you show up here on a Sunday morning at 945 and everybody around you is lifting their voice. Because sooner or later, there will be a time where you can't sing. And you will need somebody else to sing for you. And as much as the birds sound pretty, it doesn't sound like amazing grace. It doesn't sound like what we sang this morning. And when you gather together, let us draw near to God. When you gather together with other people, there's a community that is lifting simultaneously to God. And there's power in that. The Bible tells us that there's this great power when we assemble together. He says, if you'll gather together like this, I'll be with you every time. Matthew 18, starting verse 19, it says, again, truly, I'll tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Did you hear that? God even created community for to get your prayers answered. He said, you can pray by yourself, but if you really want to impact to get in community with somebody and agree, you're like, oh, you ought to agree, huh? Yeah, you see, the beauty about prayer is that if we're going to agree, I can't establish all my rights, and neither can you. We got we to gotta decide we're going to 
agree on something. So Jesus prays, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, man, if they would be like, if they would be one like we are one, that would be the deal. That would make them one. He's talking about all of you and me. He said, if they could be one in mind, if they could be one in spirit, if they could come together and they could lift up as one voice, if they could pray as one voice, nothing could stop them. So he says, let us, all of us together, draw near to God. That we weren't created to worship all by ourselves. So what's the next thing? He says, let us hold on to the hope we profess. Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 9, chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other. But pity anyone who falls down has no one to help them. Don't even have a life alert. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I'm going to tell you something. Community makes it easier to hope. Community makes it easier to hope. I can, I can remember times in our lives where all hope was gone out the window that, that we didn't know if we, we, we just, we just lost hope. I remember even, even before I was married, being, growing up, like it seemed like all hope was gone. But when you're plugged into a community, somebody else can look at you and say, Hey, listen, it's not all gone. I know your circumstances dire. I know it's tough, but let us hold on to the hope. And so when you're with us, your grip doesn't have to be as strong as it would be by yourself. Did you hear me? So can I say this to you? If you're without hope and you haven't told anybody, then, then you are causing, then you're, you're exacerbating the problem because you're relying on your own grip. But But the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 don't rely on your own grip. Get in a community of hope. Well, that's ironic. This church is called. See what I did there? Did you see what I did there, Dave? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. We're in a community of hope. So that means I don't have to have it together all the time. I don't have to be the one that like, oh, well, nothing ever phases him. No, it does. But the reason it doesn't take me down is because there's other people around me that aren't being phased in the moment. Because now I'm in a community where if I'm down, you're up. And if you're down, I'm up. And it's fine. And we can deal with each other like that. We can say, no, 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 man. I've been where you've been before. Come on. Your grip doesn't have to be as strong. The only one holding you. We've got people around here that have been through what you've been through. And we can help you out. So so the writer of Hebrews says, come on. Let us hold on to the hope together. Let us do this thing together. Can I tell you this right now? The lone wolf has no hope. Because when they get to the end of their strength, there's none left, there's no reserves. And one of the things life will teach you really quick is that you can come to the end of yourself really quick. And if there's nobody around you to look around and go, man, you know what? I just gotta be, I just gotta be honest. I need your help today. And then go, I'm here. Whatever time, whatever, let's do it. 
I, I started using a phrase. Some, somebody, we did some work and somebody said, sent a thing out. Thanks for coming out and helping. And I start, I, I came up with a new phrase. Anytime and every time. I want you to let that sing in. Anytime and every time. Anytime and every time. You know when this community helps? Anytime and every time. You know when somebody needs hope? This community and every time. Anytime and every time. Look at your look at look at your person sitting beside you. Tell them that. Anytime and every time. You better mean it. You better mean it. Watch this. Second Timothy chapter four, verse nine. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, "Do your best to come to me quickly." Now, this is the super apostle. This is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New New Testament. And he's a, man, he's a lone wolf. No, he's not. He's incarcerated. He needs help. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now, if you don't know anything about this, you would just read over this like, uh, yeah, bring Mark too. He's helpful. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to be in my ministry. The crazy part about this is in Paul's uh, former missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, a guy named Barnabas, there was a guy named John Mark that went with him. He was a young guy and he quit about halfway through and Paul was furious. You quit my team. Are you crazy? He quit about halfway through his furious at this guy. So, so furious to the point when they got ready to start the second journey, Paul looks at Barnabas and Barnabas says, Hey, I think we should bring Mark again. He goes, Oh, you're crazy. I'm not bringing him. He needs to grow up. He needs to, he needs to get some stamina in him. He needs to, and Paul wouldn't go. Paul says, I'll take Silas. You take Mark. We'll see how it works. We'll just do that. So there's a, there's like a little split there. But here's what happens. The community as a whole stays together. And Barnabas takes John Mark and raises him up. And now towards the end of Paul's life, look what he says. Because Mark never left the community, he was shaped into somebody useful. Paul was not at the end of his life calling for a quitter. He was saying, bring Mark, he's useful. Because there was hope in the community. So look at the person sitting beside you and say, you may be useless now. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. But we all have hope. All right, the next thing he says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us spur. We don't say that word anymore. Just push one another onto love and good deeds. Let us encourage one another to love and good deeds. Let us Let us be the force that drives each other to love and good deeds. We can accomplish more together than apart. Let us push each other. The last six months, you know what I've been thinking about? More than building a building, more than... I started realizing the Bible says that a pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now that doesn't... It's such a narrow context if you only take that to mean what happens here on a Sunday morning. It's just a, a narrow context to say, like, well, only, only uh, well, you could be an usher or a greeter. I just want to encourage you to be a good greeter. No, no, no. I want to encourage you to be the best follower of Christ in every context of your world. So what that means is, 
I want you to be the best employee where you work. I want you to be the best mom, the best dad. I want you to be the best at what God has called you to do inside and outside of this building. So it's spurring, it's pushing each other to love and good works. And so I'm constantly reading, man, how, do, how can I relate to people differently so I can push them in that direction? How can I, how can I make sure I'm being understood that, that it's with care and love? How, so a lot of my time is spent, how do I make sure I'm, I'm making people great? So that changes our mentality. If we're individuals, we spend a lot of time making us great. God's changed my opinion about that. If I die and the testimony of my life is everybody was great around that guy. So it it becomes less about me because what does the Bible, what does Jesus say? If you want to be first, you must be, if you want to be the greatest, then you have to be the least. So then the context of the community he put us in, it's like, how can we encourage each other to be great? How can we encourage each other to be better? And let me tell you this. If you will always make everybody around you better than they could have possibly been by themselves, you will be taken care of. Amen? Stop stepping on people, start pushing people. I'll let you figure that out. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. It's that friction that happens when we're in relationships that shapes us. It, it, it causes us to do good things. Now, I, I want to say this real quick. How many of you remember like when we used to talk about accountability? And the church was like, oh, you need an accountability partner. You know what, I, you know what that meant to me when I was a kid? Somebody who's just trying to catch me doing something wrong. I never wanted accountability. What's accountability partner to do? I catch you when you do something wrong. Why do I want one of them? That seems weird. Like you're telling me God put somebody on the earth just to watch me until I do something wrong. That sounds like my parents. I don't need another one of them. I think that's a messed up definition of accountability. I think the better definition of accountability is somebody in your life that makes sure you're doing it the best you can do it. I want people in my life holding me accountable, not to like, hey, I saw you do something wrong again. I saw you do something wrong again. I saw you do something wrong again. I know when I do wrong. I get paid to do right. I know when I do wrong. So I need somebody in my life that says, hey, I think you could do that even better. I think you could be better at that than you currently are. And so what I started saying to people is less about what they're doing wrong and more about how they could be better. Does that sound like a better accountability partner? Hey, man, I think you could be the best at this. I think you could be great at this. I think that's not just fluff and, and, and cool whip on top of the pumpkin pie. No, that's. Let's dig in and let's do this the best you can do it. I'm not sitting around waiting on you to sin. I already know you sinned. I told first service, I sinned this week and I get paid not to. So I know you do. So James says this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
The only context you'll do that is, is the context of these people are for me and with me and want to see me succeed. If you're in a relationship where, where you're afraid somebody's just going to hammer you for doing something wrong, you'll never tell them anything. But if we're a community of believers that say, you know what, man, you're more important than your sin and you're worth it to me to stay in it for as long as it takes for eternity to see you make it the best you can make it. And, in, and so we can deal with whatever comes but we're going to keep pushing each other to be better, pushing each other to love more, pushing each other to good deeds. And in the middle of that, if I mess up, we can talk about it. If you mess up, we can talk about it. I don't know why I'm pointing to Dave. We can, we can have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And then there's grace. The Bible says restore people gently. Why? Because we're moving forward, not losing relatives. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us do this all. Let us do this all. Let us do it together. Do it together. Do it together. Do it together. If you're, in a, if you're in a situation where you're struggling, you can do it with a family. You can do it with a family. Lean into the family. Lean into the community that God purposed for you to be in. Because when we start operating outside the community, the results of that are not great. The results of that are not great. The man's going to come. I want to share this last thing with you. He says right at the end of that, in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25, not giving up meetings together as some are in the habit of doing, because it's Labor Day, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now watch this. I made that kind of funny, but watch what happens. Pastors will use that as a reason, like, well, you should be in church on Sunday morning. I don't know why I just did that accent. You shouldn't miss a Sunday. Do I, do I believe that you should be in church on Sunday morning? Absolutely. Because there's no substitute for corporate worship. There's no substitute for corporate prayer. There's no substitute for corporate digging into the word. There, that, that's the way God created us. But that's a, that will be a narrow definition of what he's saying here. Just come to church on Sunday morning. Because that's not the context in which this is written. The Bible says that the early church, the first century church, met together in each other's houses and shared what they had. And, and nobody went without because they were able to take care of each other's needs. And they were, they were pushing each other towards a life that looked like Christ. So in that context, he's saying, as some have made the habit of doing, it means they had jumped out of the community. He's saying, don't leave the community. Stay together, meet together, hang out together. My, my wife will tell you, right? I've told you guys, if I don't have somebody to go to lunch with by like 1130, I bite all my fingernails off. I don't like being alone. Is that true? I hate being alone. I might not want to talk to you while we're together, but I just don't want to be alone. Because God wired me to be around other people. He wired me to just be around other people. And so he wired you the same way. I know people get on your nerves. I know you're like, if I've got to see them one more time. He said, don't, don't separate yourself from the community as some have the habit of doing. But he says this 
I got to get this right. All and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what he's saying there is they believed in the first century church that Jesus was coming back in their time. Now, what's happened is it's been 2,000 some years later and all of us are like, well, he may be coming. We're not sure. The issue is, is he was saying, we believe he's coming back. We should be meeting together, meeting together. We should be, the community should be as strong as when he was here. We should be meeting and having dinner and, and playing Monopoly and, you know, just having life together and making sure everybody's taken care of and encouraged and worshiping, all these things. We should be together doing this thing. So when he comes back, he finds the community still intact. Because he's coming back for a church. He's coming back for a church, not a bunch of individuals who decided to take the same flight. He's coming back for a community that he started. He's coming back for us. Let us spur each other. So what happens is all the more as the day of the Lord approaches. So he's saying this. We know the scripture says before Jesus comes, it's going to get bad, real bad. It's going to be an ugly sight that as in the days of Noah, where there was ungodliness spread out through all the land and Noah was the only guy paying attention. It's going to be like that. And if you haven't picked your head up out of sand lately, we are living in those times. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is when it gets bad, you should be gathering together more. You should be encouraging each other more, not less. You should be making room for people more, not less. Because he's coming back for the community. Amen? He's coming back for the church. So my prayer is that we look like it when he gets here. The community of hope he left. So why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray that maybe you feel isolated. Maybe... Maybe your life has taken turns that you weren't sure, you never anticipated. Maybe, maybe you feel like there's nobody that can relate to you. I want to, I want to pray that out of you this morning. That's a lie from Satan himself. That there are people standing right here who've walked the same path that you've walked, have dealt with the same things that you've dealt with, and 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 they can offer you hope if you will make the decision to engage in the community. Don't make the habit, as some people have done, of leaving when things get different. Just lean in. If your life is not how you thought it would turn, lean in. If it's more difficult, lean in. If it's if it's chaotic right now, lean in. If you don't have the answers, lean in. If, if you're not sure what tomorrow looks like, lean in. If you don't have enough, lean in. Lean in. Because he just taught us here, it's, it's about us doing it together. So I want to pray that over you today. Father, I pray for everyone here who thinks they're by themselves. I ask that they lean in one more time. And I ask that the community of people you've assembled in this, in this area, Lord, Lord, that, we, that we'd offer hope. Lord, that, they're, that they wouldn't have to stand on their own, God, but them great community of believers would wrap their arms around them. Lord, I pray for healing this morning. You said if we gather together and we'd ask that you'd answer. We pray for healing, deliverance. We pray for support, God. We pray for 
financial breakthrough, Lord. As they lean into the community, God, I pray that you do a miracle. As they as they start to function, God, the way you created them to function, I pray there'd be a miracle that would be set loose today. Shape us in this community, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you give him praise and honor this morning? He's good. Amen.